Okay. Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. Um, you're about to hear an incredible session um, that was done with me, Jacob, and Alex and Molly Damon from Star Wars Explained. We're super excited that we got, had the chance to have them on. Um, we did our recording session, and then we had a few additional thoughts we wanted to add afterwards. So um, we are going to drop that recording here and then put our other thoughts afterwards. See you in our next segment. Hello hey there. there. Welcome back to the 75th episode of Star Wars in the Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. And today we got a really special episode. Um, we are talking about the Martez sisters arc, Gone with a Trace, Deal No Deal, Dangerous Debt, and Together Again. But we are not alone. We are joined by some very special guests. You know them from Star Wars Explained and A Certain Point of View. Um, we have Alex and Molly Damon with us. How are the both of you doing? Hi, we're good. How are you? We're doing I'm great. Um, we've been waiting to do this for a while. I was showing Alex I got the shirt. I got the Star Wars Explained shirt oh, here. Nice. Um, That's like a special limited edition <laughs> shirt, too, because it keeps getting taken down off of TeePublic. Yeah, TeePublic won't leave it up. <laughs> I remember we were trying to make shirts for something and I was like, no, this copyright won't work. This copyright won't work. Um, constantly changing things, man. It's so annoying. <laughs> we want, we like to first start out by asking the both of you how you got into Star Wars. We like to have a little intro on our guests before we start off. Do the Cliff Notes version. Uh, I was downtown uh, in Atlanta with my parents and I saw a Someone was in a Darth Vader costume for some reason, like a really good one. I still don't really know why. I'm going to guess Dragon Con was going on nearby. Uh, and I was like eight years old. And I was really intrigued by that character. And I asked who it was. And my dad started to tell me all about Darth Vader. And uh, I was just enthralled. So we went home and he popped in a VHS that he had taped off of TBS. And uh, we, we watched the first Star Wars with commercials and everything, fast forwarding through it because that's what you did back in the day. And uh, I, I fell in love with it right then and there. Uh, my story is not as exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I was kind of a tomboy growing up and I, I hung out with a lot of boys. Uh, there was a bunch of boys in my neighborhood and they kind of got me into it. I My parents had the like gold VHS box set of the Star Wars movies. So I had kind of seen them, but uh, it was really like when I started hanging out with a bunch of guys in middle school when, you know, the prequels were coming out and I started hanging with them and that was it. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And yeah. a follow up to that question, I guess. How did you two, um, whoever wants to go first, how did you guys get into content creation for Star Wars, YouTube, putting out, putting out stuff on the Internet? How did that come about? Uh, I, again, it's connected to Dragon Con, weirdly. I guess I don't know if the first one is Dragon Con or not. But in my head canon, it is. My own personal historical head canon. So we go to this convention every year called Dragon Con. It's in Atlanta. It's all science fiction fantasy. And they had a Dragon, uh, a Star Wars trivia contest that I would enter and I would do okay in. 
and I decided one year I was going to study. And I was also working in video marketing and digital marketing already. So I was like, I feel like this could be a good YouTube channel and a good way to study. So my method of studying was to make short videos about characters or locations or whatever. And I would just put those videos online and see if anyone enjoyed them and people did. And so the channel started growing and I started to make more and more different kinds of videos. And around the time The Force Awakens came out, uh, Molly started to come onto the channel as well. Yeah, I was really just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> we had we were already together and he was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna see what this YouTube stuff is about because he already knew a lot about YouTube. Um, so I, I remember seeing Dragon Con Star Wars trivia for the first time and just being blown away that anyone would know this much about these movies. And now look at me, I, I've been sucked in. Uh, and and so, you got third place last year at Dragon Con trivia. That, that might be the height of my, um, <laughs> my entire pandemic time here. But yeah, uh, I started out just taking care of the social media side of stuff. And then I started slowly trickling in on, on camera. Um, and yeah, now, now we do a lot of stuff together. It's really fun. I will, awesome. I will just say, um, I've been a fan of both of yours since, um, Minute. And I remember specifically when you changed the name to Minute, from Minute to Explained, I thought that was like the worst decision ever. And now I can't get Explained <laughs> out of my head. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, wow, they really used to be called Star Wars Minute. That's really strange. Um, it's yeah. funny how those things get stuck like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked the minute stuff because it was, you know, it was easy to do a minute long video, uh, but uh, it didn't take long before I learned that there was a podcast that already had that name. Uh, they were going through Star Wars one minute at a time and uh, they they were so super nice about it. But I was like, you know, I'm starting to get away from the minute thing and we don't want to be confused with each other. So, yeah, I, I swapped over to explained. Yeah. Um, let's, if, without further ado, let's, uh, hop into these episodes, Gone with a Trace, Deal No Deal, uh, Dangerous Debt, and Together Again. Before we start, I'd love to get just both your, um, overall thoughts about this arc and its place in the Clone Wars. I, I really like what it does for Ahsoka. Uh, there's definitely a reason that they included it in the, they were like, we, we have three arcs that we want to do. The Siege of Mandalore is a no-brainer. That's how the series ends. The Bad Batch makes a lot of sense <laughs> because of what they're doing with the Bad Batch now. Uh, and Dave Filoni's reasoning that, you know, Rex is one of the major characters of the series and needs uh, some closure. And then Ahsoka needs to change. And we need to see how she changes after she leaves the Jedi Order. Um, so I really like what it does. I do remember when it was first coming out being like, this feels a little bit long. I, I feel like it could have been maybe three episodes, but uh, that that's really the only criticism I can think of. Yeah, I, I also really liked these episodes for, for Ahsoka's story arc, and I liked um, that we got to see kind of like the lower levels of Coruscant and like what that life is like. And it's interesting because of the story that it tells about the Jedi to like these normal people, you know, the Jedi aren't always uh, good. And for the Martez sisters, they kind of have like a, a a bad outlook on the Jedi because of what happened to them as kids. And so 
it's really good for Ahsoka to see that side of things and see that point of view uh, and how that shapes her going forward is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, personally, for me, these episodes, I wasn't the hugest fan of them when they came out. I think, like a lot of people, um, I, was, I wasn't the happiest, I think, not necessarily with the episodes themselves, just that, you know, to me, they felt out of place and a little bit anticlimactic in such a hyped up ending to such a beloved show as The Clone Wars. But I have to say, rewatching them a couple times uh, yesterday and today um, for this recording, they re they've really grown on me. And I really, really love what they do for Ahsoka and the way they force Ahsoka to confront the dark side of the Jedi in how they interact, how the Jedi interact with the majority of the galaxy in some not so pleasant ways sometimes. I, I remember when they tell that story, Trace and Rafa, about how their parents died and then they were like, and then a Jedi came and told us like, oh, it was the will of the force, may the force be with you. And they described her, I was like, that's so, that's definitely Luminarcha and Julie. Yeah. <laughs> I won't say her name, but I'm like, ugh. Yeah. That's the worst person to send to go console two new orphans. I was yeah. going to say, I, mean, I was Ahsoka after this arc, and I saw Luminara. The amount of insults I would spew. Because she has done, she's maybe ruined Ahsoka's life indirectly in more ways than any other character I can think of in, era, in this era. She neglected Barriss, causing Ahsoka to be kicked out of the Order. And then the first friends she meet have negative opinions on everything she stood for, because of, guess who, Luminara Dooley. Let's not forget that, Alex, to your point, um, Luminara not being the best person to uh, to send to, to console some people who just who just lost their family. Um, in in a season two of the Clone Wars, in the um, the Geo the Geonosis arc, when when a Barris and Ahsoka I think they're setting off a bomb or something, they get buried under the temple. Anakin's like, they have to be alive. We have to find them. And Luminara is like. Just let it go. He might be dead. Yeah. It's okay. Just let it go. And now, and now she's the one who has to console these these, yeah. these poor like, that seems like a good who just lost their parents. Great choice. It's like she was looking out. for a reason to get a new Padawan. Maybe she yeah. just didn't like Ferris doll, and she's like, oh no, she's probably dead. I'll go get a new Padawan right now. And and it's like, no, no, wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, um, for sure. <laughs> This is this is because quickly becoming the trial of Luminara and Julie, where, um, <laughs> uh, and and she is going to be found guilty. Let me tell you. Um, but um, I actually gotta say, um, as people who I know are heavily invested in the expanded canon beyond the movies and TV, um, I was thinking um, that you both might have some opinions about this in connection with the Ahsoka book. I've read all of the canon novels, but I have read Ahsoka, and I immediately thought of E.K. Johnson's book because. Even though it was written before this epi these episodes were written, it does feel like a sort of origin story for the Ahsoka we see in that book. I think to call this a prequel to the Ahsoka book <laughs> makes a whole lot of sense because we know in the Ahsoka book, uh, E.K. Johnston doesn't write about this arc so much, but she does write about the Siege of Mandalore at least as well as she knew it at that point. So it was clear that Dave Filoni or whoever came up and was like, all right, you're you're doing this Ahsoka novel. Here is what was supposed to happen to her for the rest of the Clone Wars. Uh, obviously, some details changed, like uh, 
the, the book mentions her green lightsabers whereas yeah. they became blue of the siege some of the ways that everything went down with maul was different but the the basic story beats were all there um so i assume that dave filoni also walked her through this arc it probably had i forget the the character that was supposed to be in it it wasn't trace and rafa it was yeah uh it was the, a guy the boy yeah yeah i remember that guy um i feel like his name is nix nix okami if i remember i think yeah. you're right yep. yep that's it okami um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, he probably walked her through all of that and then was just like all right go for it so she knew uh where ahsoka would be kind of emotionally at the end of the siege of mandalore and after the Trace and Rafa arc. So yeah, I, I think it makes sense that this does feel like a, a prequel to that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of Trace and Rafa, I also find it interesting, and this is the first time I realized this, and I definitely should have realized this sooner. I think this is the first Clone Wars arc that has an all-female lead cast with Ahsoka, Bo, Trace, and Rafa. I think it's the first one, which is crazy to think about that it took this long but yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, i'm trying it, to think of something that has just no no guys in it at all it's the clone wars they're all men, usually around you know? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah um I, I was like trying to think it's like night sisters but like they're not really the main characters and all that kind of stuff. actually you could say I mean, that um uh what's it called massacre where Grievous kills all the Night Sisters would be an all female lead cast, technically. That's maybe. Yeah, I mean, like, Asajj was definitely, yeah, kind of the through line yeah. for that story. There are some episodes I know that have a lot of kind of Padme and Ahsoka action um, with them kind of. Oh, doing that's true. Thing. But then um, a lot of those Lux are also coupled in. with. A lot of those are also coupled with Anakin, you know, being his. Making really a mess of things. Making yeah, a mess of things, you know, especially I'm thinking about the Clovis, the Clovis episodes right now, you know, just absolutely being out of control off the chain. Hyper it's, it's so fun. It's so fun seeing Anakin's like Padawan and his lover, like they start to form a relationship and he is like so stressed out by it. He doesn't know how to handle that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing, and we were talking about this, we were um, looking at Crystal Crisis last week. Um, was that a fun arc? And uh, with uh, Anakin's whole possessiveness over um, Ahsoka, just like he was with Padme, I'm like, there's a, there's a thread here, and I wish this would have been included, where um, Anakin immediately like takes possession of these people he cares about. Um, and um, there was a fortune cookie in that arc, which was maybe the weirdest fortune cookie I've ever seen for a Clone Wars episode. It actually ties into this arc because one of the characters follows it in a terrible way. Um, Jacob, you remember the infamous, if at first you don't succeed, destroy it, fortune cookie. I do remember <laughs> that, yes. I had to look up, I had to go on Wikipedia after that to just make sure that was the actual thing because I did not believe that that existed. But no, it's if at first you don't succeed, destroy it. Um, I wonder if that was and, like a working fortune cookie. If they were like, we're going to put something here that's an actual lesson, but in the meantime. That's like the, the I mean, origin story for Hulk. Hulk smash. I don't know. Hulk I smash. mean, there are some pretty 
questionable fortune cookies in in the latter seasons of the uh of the clone wars i think i don't know if they start to run out of ideas or i don't know yeah. maybe they just like, ah, we'll have an intern do it <laughs> I remember when you were talking about something, one fortune cookie for an episode, they were, and Jake was making the joke of, like, someone was pushing a five o'clock deadline at work, and they were like, oh, my God, forgot a fortune cookie. What the heck are we going to put for this episode? And um, they are like, oh, we'll just throw an Obi-Wan quote in there and hope people won't notice. That'll be fine. Um, uh, which, um, I actually got to say, there's some pretty good fortune cookies in this arc, um, especially um, with the things we've... Um, with the ones we've been seeing um, earlier, like Dangerous Dead, I thought was really good. Um, who you were does not have to define who you are, which seems like a pretty universal Star Wars fortune cookie. I, yeah. I've been kind of using the fortune cookies almost as like scripture to refer back to when I'm writing other things. So that that came up during the Book of Boba Fett because that's very much uh, what Boba Fett's arc is about and that story that you know he was this bounty hunter, but he doesn't have to stay that way. And so I was looking yeah. for other Star Wars quotes uh, to back that up. And then I'm like, yep, that's that's what came up first. Mm-hmm. There it is, yeah. Um, I remember specifically, I used um, that in my notes to talk about Ray Skywalker for way too long because I'm obsessed with that scene. And I'm like, yeah, who you were, you know, you were a Palpatine, you were nothing. Doesn't have to define who you are. You are, you're taking this legacy, you're defining yourself by who you are and not by like your past and all that kind of stuff um uh and you know i feel like in these episodes you know we're talking about rafa and trace um changing their ways um and there's that great moment i don't know what it is but um the the banter i think between ahsoka and trace and rafa just works for some reason for me um there's that that line where they're like um when one of them's like go this way and the other one's like go that way and Ahsoka goes, tiebreaker, come on. And they just run one way. I'm like, I don't know what it is. That just works for me. It's so great to see Ahsoka make these relationships with not only just like regular people that weren't part of the Jedi Academy, but like other females that she gets to like bond with slowly over this arc and like just get to know them. It's It's so nice to see. I'm so happy for Ahsoka that she... Get some friends, especially after Barris, who she thought was her friend this entire time, and then mm-hmm. betrayed her. Um, yeah, really convincingly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, what else? Uh, I wonder if the Ahsoka novel influenced that at all. Where I, I bet when E.K. Johnson was writing it, she thought Nick Okami would be the main character of this arc, so she was like, "I'm going to give Ahsoka some women to be friends with." And yeah. I wonder if they saw that and they were like, we should do that on screen too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Like with Caden and Miara um, in that mm-hmm. book, uh, yeah. they do, um, they, again, it's been a while since I read that book, but I remember they do seem to have a lot of similarities to Trace and Rafa with the way they think about Jedi and the way they, I mean, it's a little different because they're in um, Imperial times where being a Jedi is against the law, but um, yeah, I, they're very similar in, in character to Trace and Rafa. Yeah. And it is, I think it's definitely a breath breath of fresh air, this arc, because it's impossible to ignore as much as I love the Clone Wars. It's impossible to ignore, I think, especially for Ahsoka, some of the gender dynamics where a lot of her moments and a lot of, a lot of her time in the Clone Wars is, is kind of defined, not defined, but a, a big characteristic of it is her being 
you know, chastised, maybe condescended, kind of talked down to by a lot of powerful men. Um, and obviously, you know, some of that is warranted, some of that is not, especially with Anakin. Um, so it is definitely, it is definitely really cool to see her just have some, some space to kind of breathe and we get to, to see a different side of her. Um, besides, you know, being within the structure of the, the Jedi and the, and the Republic. Interesting, Alex, that you brought up Book of Boba Fett, because now that I think about it, Trace and Rafa's relationship kind of reminds me of uh, Boba and, um, oh my God, I'm totally blanking on her name, Finnick. <laughs> because like Finnick is like, she she's not super down with just like getting rid of the spice trade. And she's like, come on, enjoy yourself, like enjoy this fancy dinner and all this food you're like you're the daimyo it's it's cool to see some of the parallels between their relationship because i was thinking about that like fancy dinner from deal or no deal that they go to i don't know that just with, with the king about. with the yeah with the king on castle yeah, yeah. I, and and now i'm thinking of like major domo comparisons where it's like um mm -hmm. and and i would have loved to see that major domo go apologies apologies the king apologies. is not here right now Apollo, yeah. I, I, it's a completely understandable misunderstanding that we're going through right now. <laughs> well, I think you're right, though, Molly, because the the king that that's kind of the point of all that is that there's this king, there's this really nice part of Kessel, and everyone's enjoying themselves, and then we fly over to the slavery side, the the yeah. side we're more used to seeing in Star Wars. Uh, so the Book of Boba Fett stuff is very much him. Like, I don't care about the food and all the trappings. Like, I I just want to be a good ruler and a good leader to these people instead of exploit them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have the, like a big theme in star Wars. You're absolutely right. Is the tension between the people like Boba Fett, like Ahsoka who are very, very trying to be very upstanding being like, no, we have to stop suffering. And then you have the people like Rafa, like Fennec um, who are always just, you know, we got to take what we can get. It's a it's a very it's a ruthless galaxy, you know. No one's no one's gonna have your back but yourself. You gotta just you gotta take it as it comes, and if that means uh, cracking some eggs to make an omelet, then so be it. Yeah, um, and that's kind of what we see Ahsoka dealing with in this arc. Obviously, her being a Jedi, I think it's really interesting um, to see her kind of have to have to deal with stepping back out of her way of doing things and understanding that while it's not always it, it's it can be pretty unsavory you know mm -hmm. rafa is, is doing what she's doing for a reason i also think it's really interesting um how this is something i didn't notice other times i was watching this how oblivious rafa and trace are um i love their characters i really do but there is a feeling with them that's very similar to din in the mandalorian um <laughs> Where, where Ahsoka's like, what if I was a Jedi? And they're like, nah, you couldn't be a Jedi. And then one episode later, they're like, why didn't you tell us? And she should, and the line I was like screaming in my head was like, she just did. You didn't believe her. This is not on her at all. Um, there's a very like, oh, does this look Jedi to you, kid? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is the seeing stone. Are you seeing anything, kid? <laughs> I love Star I, I like the, yeah, they're a little oblivious, but so is Ahsoka. Like they, they yeah. both teach each other mm -hmm. yeah uh they definitely do teach um, each other and there are some there are some things in this arc i remember like again this arc is very light arc and then there's some weird things like 
the pike whose head gets crushed in an elevator. I'm oh, like, yeah. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, this, <laughs> those, this is a kid's show moment. Um, yeah. Every season, Clone Wars gets a little more and more brutal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's especially weird have- for this because you have some moments where, you know, they've got the very light, jaunty, kind of early Rebels-esque music. You know, they're they're running around. They're, they're having a good time. They're cracking jokes. And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, that Pike just got his head crushed in an elevator. And, oh, my <laughs> God, Trace and Rafa are being tortured by this deranged droid like it's a little bit incongruous even for the clone wars which i think i think that one of the clone wars's hallmarks is its ability and unabashedness and going between the two extremes especially in later seasons it's interesting because you know it started in 2008 and it's clearly even more of a kid's show but it was a show that aged up with its audience just like rebels did but then we got a time jump and now it's even though it's season seven we're 11 years after the series premiered so it's like uh, i guess we can afford to be a little more brutal because the kids that started watching it are now in their 20s so. yeah yeah no I, I was also thinking like you know at least we didn't see the pike's head rolling downstairs like we did previous <laughs> um season five um mm. i could hardly believe like that was that was one of those ones that got censored right that got censored on certain episodes of cartoon network because it was a little too edgy um which is crazy. Now that I think Didn't about Asajj's, it, uh, Asajj's the, kiss the of kiss, death on the clone, the kiss, yeah, that got that uh, got censored as well. Thing, yeah, that got censored. Yeah. There's um, some brutal, there's some brutal moments. I don't blame Cartoon Network for censoring that one, to be honest, because that one was yeah. season three, I think. Yeah, yeah that was that was early that was on. Pretty too. early. Like if, yeah. if that had came in season six or season seven, I'd have been like, okay. But season three, whoa, slow down, <laughs> yeah. slow down, slow it down. You're moving too fast. Um, uh. And there's this also line that I love that is really important to Ahsoka's development in uh, this arc, I feel like, and defines her character after this point with Rebels, with the Mandalorian, with the Book of Boba Fett. In my life, when you find people who need your help, you help them no matter what. I'm like, yeah, that's who Ahsoka is for the next 20, 25 years. You know, with, with Rex, with the Phoenix Squadron, with, um, you know, Kanan and Ezra and Hera and and with Din, and with, and eventually with Luke, and with Grogu, um, she's just kind of there because, first of all, the plot needs her to be there because Dave Filoni cannot give up this character, um, <laughs> and second because she never misses an opportunity to help. Um, I was interested in kind of looking at the fortune cookies since that's something that we've kind of, in our in our experience, have been helpful for focusing. On things if there is no path before you create your own the fortune cookie for gone with a trace i found this one very interesting um i have some thoughts on it but i would be really interested to hear what everyone else has to say about this one because i always I always find the fortune cookies really intriguing and unpacking the episodes that was one that made me think of i now i'm trying to remember which book it was it's one of the high republic books i think it was out of the shadows maybe it was was it midnight horizon one of the recent ones with uh wreath and i think ram so maybe it was midnight horizon but about this idea that uh you don't always know what your path is like i I think wreath was kind of following his master's footsteps no matter what and feeling like i don't know this isn't right and he had to learn the lesson that it's like you're not supposed to follow someone else's path you have to make your own sometimes 
Uh, and that's exactly what this made me think of when I revisited it. It made me think of also in the High Republic, the, the way seekers, because mm. those are just, yeah, they're, they're Jedi who are like, you know what? I don't have a clear path right now. So I'm just going to go off and do my own thing for a while until, you know, one presents itself or I can, I can, you know, create my own path as a pop star or whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it reminds me of certain Jedi in the, um, the Clone Wars era as well, like Qui-Gon or like like Master Tuon from the Crystal Crisis arc, who just kind of went to Utapau because that's kind of what she did. Um, she got herself killed, which is not great, but um, she just, she followed the will of the Force. Um, I was also thinking like, um, and this is something I wanted to mention, the bike was a really interesting symbol in my opinion, because I do find it interesting that just after Ahsoka walks away from the Order, she gets that bike, the really, really bad bike. It breaks down instantly. And I'm like, oh, that bike's totally a symbol. That bike is a symbol of, you know, whenever anything went wrong with her before, Anakin was there, Obi-Wan was there, the entire Jedi Order was there to help her fix it. Now, she's got nobody to help her fix it. And then at the end of the arc, she leaves the bike with Rafa and Trace, which is something I didn't notice until this time. And I'm like, oh, she is rebuilding her support system. She's rebuilding the people who she can go to when she needs help. Um, and I thought that was a really nice touch that I didn't notice before. And yeah. you're absolutely right because they show up again in the Bad Batch. So they're, I was going to still... mention the Bad Batch. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the Bad Batch is, and I, I haven't watched decommissioned that episode for a while. Um, but I remember being so thrilled when they showed back up because I'm like, oh, they get new light. We get new light on the, these characters, and I can totally see these characters being people who would mesh really well with the early rebellion with you know your Sagarreras, with your phoenix squadrons with your all those people um and i really hope we see more of them in that era i'm hoping we see them again in season two of the bad batch which is coming out who knows honestly um it does feel like uh, it, it's like oh it might be happening now and then it's just like nope it's not um but yeah i'm, I'm hoping they'll they'll um appear again in the bad batch and other stuff yeah, I think they're great characters to just kind of bring in every so often. And I think it would make sense if they came back in season two. Especially Rafa has that arc of, I'm looking out for me and my family, and that's it. I don't really care if I'm selling spice or whatever, as long as uh, the two of us are okay. And now she has come around to Ahsoka's way of thinking and be like, no, like we can do more and we can help the whole galaxy. 100%, yeah. yeah. And I was thinking about like, you know, their, their, their mission at that factory with um, the crew and seeing their sort of family. Um, and I think weren't they, I'm, and I'm, again, I'm rusty on that, that episode. Weren't they get, trying to get schematics for that factory to somebody, I think. And then they, they needed the intelligence inside of a super tactical droids head. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to that episode just because um, we're going to get to it so soon, but it was so long when we got to it in real chronology um, that I would forgotten what had happened with Trix and Rafa and seeing that here is um, really, it really makes me excited for that episode of The Bad Batch. Um, let's see. Um, I also, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, I, I also just want to mention that um, 
the performances of Elizabeth Rodriguez and Bridget Colley as Trace and Ralph, as Ralph and Trace are fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. And there's that line that specifically that Elizabeth Rodriguez does as Rafa, where uh, she says it's in the third episode. She go, she says, um, "I'm just trying to do what's best uh, to Ahsoka." And it's one of those lines where I totally looked past it the first time I saw it, and then I looked at, um, and then I looked at um, this again, and I looked at the way the voice acting was done, the way the animation was done. I'm like, that's the core of her character. That's what that's what we're going with this whole time is that she, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, the the you can have the best of intentions, but um, you can, they can lead you astray. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think that's it, exactly what, what she is, where it's not a bad thing to care for your family, but that can't be, it can't be care for your family at the expense of anyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. often in this arc, we see Rafa caring, wanting to care for Trace, but at the same time, kind of being so into that idea of you know it's us against the world we got to stick together we need to do whatever it takes to survive that she ends up making decisions that aren't the best for trace and we know i can't remember which episode it is later on in the story maybe a dangerous debt together again i'm not sure we see her talking to ahsoka we see ahsoka saying you know she's your sister she's never gonna she's never gonna say no to you rafa and because Rafa, of course, is insisting, oh, if she doesn't want to do this, she won't she won't do this. You know, we got to stick together. And I think that brings up a good point where Rafa's determination can blind her to to what Trace needs and what Trace is capable of, yeah. which is obviously a lot different from what Rafa is. Yeah, Rafa kind of learns that throughout this arc, uh, you know, what, what's best could be for her to change and for her to let Trace, you know, figure out things in kind of a different way. And just for them to change their mindset a little bit where it's, yeah, not as much us against the world um, and learning how letting other people help them and letting Ahsoka help them can help both of them down the road. Um, before we uh, close, I would like to talk a little bit about Bo-Katan and tying this into the Siege of Mandalore. I remember I minded it less the first time, and then this time I'm like, in Dangerous Dead, I thought it was good. And then in Together Again, I'm like, uh, and <laughs> Ahsoka goes into the factory and she's like, so Maul's on Mandalore, what's he doing there? I'm like, okay, we get it, you're trying to tie it in. And it's a little annoying, at least for me, because we're doing this in chronological order. So we haven't done the Bad Batch yet. We're going to do that next week because it takes place after, because of course it does. Uh, because Star Wars just likes to mess with us that way. <laughs> I, a side note, I actually realized why they did that, which is really dumb. It's because Anakin's on the Star Destroyer and she, he's supposed to be on the, in the Outer Rim Sieges by now. And Padme can't say, I haven't seen you for months if he's like sitting right there, which is I'm like, he could have done some retconning and he could have just like made this after and made the season make sense, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I wanted to get both of your thoughts as well as Jacob's thoughts about, um, was the tie-in too much? Did they, did they tie it into Siege too much? I guess it, it didn't bug me. 
No, I, I love book tans. <laughs> I was, I I was not bothered by it. Yeah. It, it, I, 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 I do agree that it is a little on the nose to make it just so like, oh, what is Maul doing on Mandalore? But yeah, I think everyone going into this season, everyone was like Siege of Mandalore. Like no matter yeah. what, we're getting that and we can't wait to see it. So I think it was just yeah. kind of building that hype. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it makes sense given that Siege of the Mandalore, Alex, as you said, like that's the, the pie in the sky. That's the goal for the season. That's what everyone's, that's what everyone is anticipating the most. Um, I did find it a little bit jarring, you know, we go from Ahsoka and Bo-Katan, you know, being pretty, pretty mortal enemies um, to Bo-Katan being like, I need your help. Ahsoka is just, okay, let's go. So I think, I think for me, I would have found it a little more helpful to make it a little less on the nose had they just included maybe a minute of Ahsoka and Bo-Katan maybe just hashing things out maybe Bo-Katan or Ahsoka saying look we had our differences in the past but yeah we gotta we gotta take down Maul or you know kind of Ahsoka Bo-Katan maybe giving the giving Ahsoka a spiel of you know why why she should help her I, I would have found that helpful but it, yeah even though it was on the nose like it was necessary to keep the story moving, so I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really have any big quibble with it. I assume they had that conversation on the ship on the way yeah, over. Yeah, to... they're just flying away. Yeah, there <laughs> is that line. A, that must have been a pretty Robin. awkward conversation, though, at first. Yeah. So <laughs> you tried to kill. How did we get here? Um, yeah, remember that time uh, you cut the heads off of four of my friends? That was wild. <laughs> that, was, that, that was crazy, man. Um, uh, but to be fair, they attacked me first. Um, uh, <laughs> There is that line at the end where Rafa says to Ahsoka, and this is maybe one of the dialogue choices I'm not as fond of, she says, go, it's what you're meant to do. I'm like, I feel like it could have been a little stronger than that. I feel like it's, a, I feel like it's go, it's right the way, it's what the writers want you to do. Um, <laughs> it, it, it feels very much like, like they couldn't figure out quite what to put there, so they just put something generic. Um, mm. Again, this is nitpicky, but like, you yeah. know. We talked earlier about just how Ahsoka is, yeah, she's she's down to help anybody, and that's kind of like a through line for her story. But it's also great to see Bo-Katan have to come down a, a notch to ask for Ahsoka's help. So that that's important for her story too. Yeah, um, it, it is, uh, and actually, I'll just reference this too. One, one of the other things I like about this arc is it makes normal Star Wars things at least for me, feel magical. Like when Yoda, when, when Soki uses the force for the first time in Gone with the Trace to um, uh, help to lift Trace back up and save her life, I'm like, oh yeah, the force exists. Like I'm a huge fan of the force, but, I, but I'm like, <laughs> it, I, I was getting used to this whole course, I'm not a little vibe. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And the first time they take off into space in the Silver Angel, I'm like, oh yeah, space travel exists in this universe. Oh, I remember <laughs> that, I love that. Um, it it takes us it takes all those things away, and so it can reintroduce them as if we're watching them for the first time. They they really do that a whole lot. Where if you watch the Bad Batch and its first episode, the way it ends with Omega like seeing space and hyperspace for the first time, and it it reminded me immediately of Ezra doing exactly the same thing in Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> like they repeat that moment over and over, and it's still fun it still it works still works yeah it's like how they put binary sunset in this um like <laughs> six times and i'm like every time i'm like okay i'm okay <laughs> i'm not crying you're crying 
<laughs> Especially as uh, Ahsoka was um, on the bike and it was racing down um, before it crashed and they were playing Finer Sense and I'm like, this hurts. I'll just throw out that I, I'm reading back through the Fortune Cookies and I do like the mistakes are valuable lessons often learned too late. I like yeah. that you're just framing the idea of a mistake as a lesson and it's not, yeah, you know, if you mess something up, it sucks, but you can still learn from it and and do better the next time, mm-hmm. which actually I think is close to a Thrawn quote <laughs> from Heir to the Empire, uh, except he says it. He says something similar after cutting someone's head off. So, <laughs> he has typical Thrawn. To be fair, typical yeah. Thrawn. <laughs> um, I was I was thinking of uh, when I was looking at that Fortune Cookie. I specifically remember um, uh, thinking of Luke in Black Jedi. Um, you know. It only takes one second, you know, as soon as Luke ignites that lightsaber, he's left with shame and with consequence. Uh, he learned the lesson one second too late, but one second was still one second. And that was a colossal mistake on his part. Uh, again, it only took one second, which is, it was, it's frightening and it's scary. Rafa's front for her shady business is a laundromat. I have a big problem with that because in Star Wars, but especially in animated Star Wars, I don't think I've <laughs> ever seen evidence of a character changing their clothes. So either everyone owns like four or five of the exact same outfit or everyone just smells terrible all the time. I don't know which one it is. I don't know which one is more unnerving to me. <laughs> that a just laundromat shows... in Star Wars. It... Go ahead, Molly. I was just going to say, that just shows how terrible of a front it is. People are like, you have a what? <laughs> that business would go under what? immediately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure it says on one of the posters, it's like owned, it's like a Calrissian franchise or something. <laughs> I'm almost Calrissian. positive Calrissian oh, is written on one of the that, signs. That, that, that seems like Calrissian. something Lando would do. I think, mm-hmm. I think Lando might be the only person in Star Wars who actually probably... Yeah, wears a lot of different clothes and has we a closet. Yeah, him and Padme. Yeah, him and Padme. Yeah, and Leia, frankly. Um, yeah. Uh, Lando has a lot of dry cleaning to get done for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining like him landing um, on some like just a laundromat planet or something like that. Well, okay, here we go, loading out the caves. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think now um, we should probably get to our in a galaxy question. So I'm going to show you a character um, very special to this show. Um, look, she hits a ship. It's not their fault. It's not her fault that they used a decoy. Um, I'm, I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to show you this character. All you need to do is tell me how you pronounce this character. His name. Hmm. Zam Wessel. Zam Wessel. There we go. Okay, okay, there we go. Um, yeah, you want to so, tell the full um, backstory with the voice? Yes, so um, we were doing an episode on the incredible Star Wars video game, Star Wars Bounty Hunter, um, a while ago. Um, and she pronounces her name in that video game, Hi, I'm Zam Wizell. Um, and we were like, hmm. wait, what? I do not um, remember that. <laughs> is it the same actress that doing the voice? Yes, actually, it is. Is it really? Yeah, it, huh. it is. No, and, and here's the weird part. So... Then fellow podcaster uh, DeVore from A Large View of the Force was like, yeah, I always pronounce it with L. Um, and we're like, get out. Uh, <laughs> and then we looked at Wikipedia. And this is the worst part. Wikipedia has it 
Zam Wessel, pronounced Wessel or Wizel. And the legend's description has both of them. I'm like, uh, and the, and the canon description, of course, has neither. It doesn't have a pronunciation because they yeah. just want to mess with us more. I think they, they're, they've started doing that with a lot of things. It's like, yeah, it, it has an either or pronunciation and both are technically correct. Yeah, but I've never heard anybody use Wizelle. So I'm like, I'm still like questioning if that actually exists, but apparently it does. I mean, you're um, making me want to change my pronunciation just because that is an official. <laughs> Wessel is just whatever I've said and the fact that they say it in the video game, which I don't recall at all because I, I played that game I get back in when it first came out on the GameCube, I think is where I played it. But <laughs> I, I <laughs> do not remember that pronunciation. It was, oh, we were watching cutscenes uh, for it posted on YouTube. And I remember specifically, I'm like, she didn't say that, did she? Did, she did not say that. Um, <laughs> no, it was, um, it was, it was a fun episode to um, record. Um, but in the meantime, I think um, that's going to be it for this episode. Um, Alex, Molly, um, I'll give you this opportunity. Where can we find you? Where can we find your stuff? Molly, you go first. I always go first for this. <laughs> well, it's a lot of the same stuff. You can yeah. find us on Star Wars Explained on YouTube and Star Wars Explained with no ED because it was too long on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, but no one uses Facebook anymore. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on Twitter, uh, you can find me at Molly Demon. That's everything, which is good. That's fine. <laughs> I covered all of Alex's stuff. And you can catch us on the Schmodown uh, and me on a certain point of view talking about Schmodown stuff. I, I'm incredibly excited. Um, I'm a big fan of the Schmodown and the new season starts today, of course. And I'm going to be um, so looking forward to all your reactions and stuff. But anyway, um, I think that's going to be it for uh, this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Next week, we will be talking about um, X-Men. No, we're going to be talking about the Bad Batch. <laughs> who are the X-Men of Star Wars. Um, uh, and we're going to be talking about them in their first appearances in the show um, in uh, The Bad Batch, A Distant Echo on the Wings of Kyrodax and Unfinished Business. Until then, may the Force be with you, always. Go ahead with the summary for Gone with a Trace, Jacob. All right. So in Gone with a Trace, Ahsoka... Ahsoka is uh, leaving the Jedi Order. She is going down the portal into the lower depths of Coruscant. However, her hunk of junk speeder gives out and she crash lands on le level 1313 where she meets Trace Martez who takes her in and gives her the tools to fix her speeder. As she is hanging out in the garage with Trace, uh, the gangster Pintu comes demanding his money who Trace's sister Rafa owes. Ahsoka stands up to Pintu, beats up his guards. Pintu says, this isn't over, but he flees for the time being. Then Ahsoka meets Rafa, Trace's older sister. They go. Um, Rafa has ordered some droids to build and deliver to a client. So they build the droids. However, um, one of the restraining bolts is not properly affixed to the droid, and one of these droids goes on a rampage which Ahsoka and Trace have to stop, and they risk their lives to do. However, they do successfully stop this rogue binary load lifter droid. Then Rafa says that, yes, Ahsoka 
at Trace's request, Ahsoka can stay on with them for a bit while she gets back on her feet. And that is that. Yes, um, we already ran through the first three fortune cookies with Alex and Molly, so I think we should just cut to the chase. Um, and uh, let's go with, let's see. Um, you got anything before I tackle some things? Uh, no, I, I want to see how you crack this one open, Eli. I just got to say, um, we think, you know, I'm not a religious person, but we thank the Lord above today for granting us season seven of the Clone Wars animation. We do. That was my first note as well. My first note was just, good golly, this animation is gorgeous. I literally just, uh, I literally my um, notes say in all caps, fuck, that season seven animation is some good shit, man. Like, the shot of Ahsoka looking up at the transports, I'm like, yes, please, give me more. Like, yeah. this Even is why we still to need the animation six. in Star Wars. Yeah. Even compared to season six, you know, this animation is just, yeah, it's jaw, it's jaw dropping. And, you, you know, know, in earlier often... seasons, you know, in the main, what I consider to be the mainline Clone Wars, obviously it gets progressively more and more beautiful. Absolutely. But it's mainly these big set pieces. But in, yeah. in this, it's everything. Every little scene to me, every last shot is just so lush and constructed with so much attention to detail. And, and I feel like the amazing. lighting's gotten so much better as well. Yeah. The lighting is is so... They've gotten so much better at the soft lighting, you know, yeah. really making it feel atmospheric. It's really just... The progression is absolutely incredible. I, I mean, you know, the panoramic shot we get, I know this is not this arc, but and we'll talk about this when we get to this next week, but the panoramic shot of the Anaxi's base at, in the first episode of The Bad Batch is something unlike ever, anything we've ever seen before in Star Wars animation. Like, that shit is beautiful. I, I, I hope you know the shot I'm talking about. Oh yeah, when I the, do, 100%. When the LAAC it is absolutely flies gorgeous. In. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful, and we got a lot of that good stuff in The Bad Batch um, uh, um, show and I, I I love the animation is my is my point. Um, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it is simply jaw dropping. You're absolutely right. So, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask like, how do you want to? Because I, I have some thoughts about the beginning. Yeah, I episode. already covered a lot of the beginning stuff with um, Alex and Molly with the whole bike metaphor. That was one of the things I was most proud of. That yeah. I saw, the bike metaphor. Um, but Definitely. yeah, go ahead. If you had some stuff at the beginning, then I want to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's very interesting watching Ahsoka try to get accustomed to Trace's ways as she's getting to know her. Because she's she's trying to make a new life for herself, find her way, fit in. While she's also still intensely mourning kind of the the death of her old life you could say which to me is it's really interesting um i think coming to her coming to terms with trace's view of the jedi is really interesting you know trace is like better off you're better off down here the jedi are running around starting wars policing everyone they've forgotten all about us and trace is both wrong and right obviously the jedi didn't start the war but 
the Jedi are trying to do the right thing, but Trace is absolutely right more than she knows. The disconnect between the Jedi's intentions and then how they impact the rest of the galaxy, it just shows the problems the Jedi have with, you know, I know I harp about the fall of the Jedi a lot. But, I was going to say, everybody listening to the episode, take a shot. Yeah, take a, take take a, a shot every time I harp about peeling back the layers or the or fall, the of, the fall of the Jedi. But I really, think it's, I really think it's applicable here where, you know, they they the Jedi are increasingly seemingly kind of out of touch with the, the rest of the galaxy, with with the common people of the galaxy. And I mean, to some extent, that's their fault. But also, I just want to point out, like, that's exactly how Palpatine drew it up. Like, you can't discount Palpatine's hand in that. You I mean, cannot. if you want to talk about Star Wars, an essential as, part of the equation. if you want to talk about the prequels, the prequel era as political commentary, just like every populist strongman, Palpatine is pulling out the playbook of portray your political opponents as elitist, portray them as out of touch, portray yourself as, you know, the, the commoner. And even if he's doing that in secret, he's still doing that to his political opponents, the Jedi. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, and there's some and, and there's some really good ideas in that. I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying about how Palpatine's acting politically. Um, and you know, there is some interesting commentary, I do think, because, you know, you, you've heard the whole, like, idea of the ivory tower, like, where the wealthy look down on the poor from their ivory towers. Yeah. I think and in many happened, ways, the Jedi Temple is... Yeah, I was gonna uh, like, say. It's an ivory, it's an ivory tower. tower. It's an ivory... It's, it's, it's literally not an ivory tower. It's, not, it's no accident that the ivory tower... The Jedi, like it's literally, you know, yeah, you know, what I'm trying to say, like it's, it's literally. Yeah. Uh, I also find it interesting. Inspired. I also find it interesting if it's, in, and if any um, people of color um, want to talk to us about this and educate us on their own perspectives on this. But I also find it interesting that the Jedi Order, which is, I know, it's most of them aren't human, but like. Most of them are voiced by white voice actors, and they're like a, they, they feel to me like a prominently like old white institution for for the most part. Yeah, they're like, um, oh, we can't stop the ship from going into a crowd of people. Let's just crash it into this house. Oh, the people in there are people of color. Oh no, whatever shall we do? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely. I don't think that right. was an intentional, but I think that was. I, I think that's I there. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, given yeah. given Star Wars, obviously, no matter what, you know, no matter what people say, like Star Wars has always been political and Absolutely. it has always tackled the issues of the day. George Lucas has been very clear about that. You know, Filoni and co the new the new guard, they have been very clear about that. about that. So I think I think you may be maybe onto something here. I think it's less of the direct the direct metaphor, but I think I think you may be onto something in terms of oh you have the uh the po- the force that is more or less a policing force if you think about the Jedi in that way. You know, clearly at the end of at the end of the arc you hear like Rafa and Trace say, Oh, the Jedi, you make a living catching criminals. You know, if we think about it from that lens, it's impossible to ignore how the Jedi often 
they often inflict a lot of needless harm yeah. on especially people in the course on underworld who you know aren't really in the same position of privilege i guess you could say so i don't know if it's i don't know how direct the metaphor is but i think you may be onto something where you know as a um as a policing force as a law enforcement group the jedi uh, they got they got some problems they they, they definitely they got, got some, some institutional problems. problems absolutely um I, I also like, again, you mentioned Elizabeth Rodriguez and Bridget Kelly's um, voice performances, Trace and Rafa's. But Ashley Eckstein delivers a performance as Ahsoka in this arc that I think may be one of the most underrated performances in, of an animated character in Star Wars. Ashley as Ahsoka in this arc specifically is perfect. Every single beat she hits exactly how. I feel she needs to be. There's that line, where did you learn to fight like that? And the way she says, my older brother taught me with that sense of longing, but also like trying to, trying to get closure on it, but also like, you know, she wants to be back there with her master, but then she realizes how much, you know, the Jedi have really failed and betrayed her. It's a perfect balance in the voice acting. It's just yeah, chef's kiss. Absolute chef's kiss. Ashley, I yeah. miss I miss having Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka so much. Oh, Ashley, really is, Ashley's wonderful, frankly. Yeah, I hope we get some more. I hope we get some more animated Ahsoka yeah. alongside the uh, the obvious upcoming uh, live action um, yeah. live action um, appearances. I, I'm gonna completely change my tune on this because I know I said in a in a less recent a more recent episode of Any Galaxy, I feel like around a year ago that I would cringe so hard if Ahsoka came into the Bad Batch. On second thought, can we please get Ahsoka in the Bad Batch? <laughs> like, I'm not actually kidding you. I want Ahsoka in the Bad Batch now because I think she would fit so well. And a lot of the themes from this arc would fit so well in that show. And frankly, I just want to see Ashley Eckstein again. Or hear her again. Yeah, I really, I really wouldn't mind that either. I would definitely not mind that. Um, what else do you have? What else do you have going through, going through this episode? Um, obviously, to continue on, I just want to say that you know Trace, you know she has that moment where she's waxing poetic about the state of the galaxy, how she wants to get off Coruscant, how you know there's no safety anymore. Yeah, it's she's a pilot how, one day, and she wants and to get away from the Jedi. She's gonna, someday she's gonna fly away from this place. Yeah, it's sad how the Jedi's presence is seen and felt by the majority of the galaxy. How the Jedi that we as an audience see in the Clone Wars, when we get that intimate look, that's more the Jedi of rumors and myths for most of the galaxy. And legends, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there is, you know, I think we underestimate sometimes that, like, remember, for the most part, with some notable exceptions, we take a very privileged, educated view at this galaxy. Yeah, like we really see. We take the view of characters who know a lot. We see highly educated Jedi. We see very privileged senators and and yeah, just people on the on the surface, literally in a literal yeah, sense, and, people well, on the top side. 
like, you know, aside from, I'm trying to think, like, like Luke in The New Hope is pretty naive and jaded. Not, not jaded. Luke in The New Hope is pretty naive and um, oblivious. But then, you know, he's with Rebel Command for the entire um, rest of the trilogy. Anakin's a little naive on Tatooine, but, like, you know, we don't start the movie off with him. We start the movie off with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan slicing and dicing and knowing everything about galactic politics. And we do that the same thing in those the prequels. Rey starts out, of course, um, alone in a very a much naive and oblivious like Luke. But then she's with Resistance Command for most of the rest of the sequel trilogy. Um, we, and, and, you know, same thing could be said about Ezra. And same thing could be said um, about Omega um, in The Bad Batch. But, like, you know, we oftentimes take this, and we forget that, like, you know, with the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian's another good example of this, you know, as I was saying with Alex Molly, does this look Jedi to you, kid? Does this yes. the Seeing Stone? Are you seeing anything, kid? Like, yeah, Din doesn't know what he's doing half the time. We love him for it, but Din doesn't know what he's doing half the time. He has no idea who Bo-Katan is. He has no idea that the whole Mandalorians only take off their mat, uh, their helmets when they're not in the presence of other people. We know, like, he doesn't know that is a cult until Bo-Katan literally just stands there and tells him. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I was rambling. Uh, but, no, 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 uh, no, no. Great, great observations. Great points that you make. Um, uh, yeah, I will also just say binary load lifters. You catch the trivia reference to that, Jacob? Uh, the New Hope, you know, C-3PO yep. or something else? C-3PO. Oh, First yes. job of programming binary load lift. That being said, I did think that this was kind of symptomatic of some of the problems that I and some other people kind of had with these episodes where, you know, obviously, as I said earlier with, um, with Alex and Molly, you know, I think the more upbeat Disney music, you know, the Rebels music, you know, very, uh, very jaunty, um, very kind of kid friendly sounding. Um, it does feel pretty, uh, overall as episodes, you know, they get a little heavier as they go on, but this does feel pretty kind of light and, and I guess free flowing for what I think is supposed to be like, you know, this huge finale, you know, and obviously this arc is sandwiched by incredibly, uh, dark and heavy arcs and i think i and some other people were probably expecting wishing maybe for more of that so i think that that's kind of a symptom of the the, some of the problems that i had with this arc that i've kind of made my peace with at this point because as i've rewatched it and as i've thought about this arc talked about it with you obviously you played a great deal in kind of helping me change my mind and appreciate different parts of it i will say yeah, but I'm glad I'm sorry for that. rambling, but yeah, no, it's, you, it's, you get the idea. Um, yeah, I also think you know people sometimes forget um, that the Bad Batch arc is really campy. Yeah, it is very like, campy as well. <laughs> it's really like like the whole idea of the Bad Batch and the whole way the Bad Batch are presented, the characterized way they're presented, in specifically in the Clone Wars arc as opposed to their own show, is like really goofy and like the yeah. whole thing about like. The last episode is their quest to to undetonate a bomb. It just happens yeah. to be a really, really, really big bomb. Yeah. That's the entire last episode of that arc. It's basically just Anakin, the Bad Batch, and Rex try, 
try to try to um de uh try to um uh, try to stop a really really big bomb from exploding. Yeah, and they absolutely. spent an entire episode on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that in general, I think people are pretty hard on this arc, especially in yeah. comparison to obviously Siege of Mandalore is one thing, but the Bad Batch arc, I think it's far from perfect. You know, I think there was a lot of. Would it be a hot take if I said I like this better than the Bad Batch arc? That would be a hot take. I think I'm saying it they're then. yeah, they're closer for me. They're closer than I thought. I would have them. I'd have to rewatch the Bad Batch arc, which I guess we're going to pretty soon. Yeah, that's um, the thing. <laughs> Next week, Star Wars in the Galaxy. Maybe then I'll be able to, you know, say definitively because I haven't seen that one in a lot longer than I've seen the Marta's, Marta's sisters. But people act like that arc is so perfect in comparison, when in reality, I think at least I guess reality. Well, in my experience, you know, that arc it's it's got some pretty kind of cliche, repetitive moments. Mm-hmm as well you know we have keep having these cliched fight moments the wings of jurid is like their things. seventh um seven samurai parody in that yeah. show yeah so i mean it's fine it works but like let's not deny that yeah, um, yeah. undeniably let's 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 also talk about too and i want to talk about this because this hasn't really come up with anything else we're watching but i feel like it wouldn't be just of us to talk about this episode and with, without talking about the fandom menace a little bit, unfortunately. Hmm. Oh, the fandom menace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean... This episode, these, this arc is the first piece of content we've gotten to in a galaxy that has been used by the fandom menace for their own nefarious ends. Yeah, I think look, that... Sorry, go ahead. Okay, can I, can I just say, look... Yeah. The Phantom Menace hates this arc because women of color are the main characters. Let's be real about that. Yeah. And that's racist and that's sexist and we don't condone that either. Yeah. I mean, like, there are a lot of, there are legitimate reasons to not like this arc, I think. Um, and I Absolutely. know a lot of people who, like, have, like, who have, like, good considered reasons, you know. They didn't like yeah. this, they didn't like that. Maybe they just, maybe they just didn't vibe with it. But it's undeniable, like, just thinking about the level of hatred that it gets on some parts of the Star Wars internet, the the passion with which people go after it compared yeah. to what they can actually claim its infractions are, like yeah. it's undeniable. It's undeniable that the whole anti like kind of racist anti SJW crowd, like I don't know, it, it's undeniable some of the some of the things that people go after it for are not exactly the most not exactly the nicest reasons let's just say um i I didn't want to spend too long harping on it but i didn't want to put it out there just because so people could know where we stand on that because that is it's not it's not it's not often a popular it's often not a popular thing to say but like it's undeniable that a lot of it's undeniable some of the reasons that a lot of people have a have as big a problem with it as they do and that's that a lot of people hold they hold women characters they hold characters of color to a higher standard than they hold characters that are white and or men in Star Wars 
that much it's yeah. it's sad but it's it's undeniable that this is happening and and i wish it wouldn't because me too because it, 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 it it's hurting people and it's making the internet a dangerous place for somebody who is not uh, who is not white or male or um, doesn't yeah. fulfill some of those uh, categories. And it's, it's, it's horrible to see. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to make our, I just wanted to make my opinion known on that yeah. one because it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like if you don't like it, you don't like it, but you yeah. can like it without being a fucking bigot. Okay. Yes. The bottom line. <laughs> Bottom yeah. line, that's all I have to say. You can dislike it without being a bigot. Yeah. So you said please like dislike it. it. Yeah. Oh. Did I said like it? I could have sworn I yeah. said dislike it. Yeah. No. You can you, you can, can have huge problems with it. You can not like it. Just don't, yeah, don't don't be a bigot. Overall, this episode, the, let, well, let's talk about the binary load lifter chase. Because I actually thought that was really cool and creative, and I enjoyed it way more than I remembered. Yeah, it was a it was a fun little sequence, and I liked that, like, you know. I like the toned down of now. I, I like how toned down it was. I like how simple it was. There's a lot of connections I can make with this arc and the Padawan Lost arc in um, the, at the end of season three. You know, we called that episode that we reviewed. That, I don't know if you remember this, Jacob. We called it DIY Star Wars. Yeah. And this has a very DIY feel to the entire arc. You know, they don't have fancy laser swords. They don't have good blasters for most of the arc. They don't have, um, you know, advanced, like, Rafa and, Tr and Trace don't really have any fight training. Yeah. Um, and Ahsoka has the Force and her combat training, but she doesn't have lightsabers, she doesn't have weapons for most of them. Uh, and they have to find creative ways to fight. The, the, el the pipe in the elevator that we were talking with Alex and Molly, the Trandoshan that <laughs> uh, Rafa just jumps on the platform and it just causes it to break off. Like, that was yeah. brutal, man. Yeah. I thought it was really... I just thought the fight was super refreshing, you know? like Yeah, absolutely. And again, this kind of ties into my, my qualms, which I'm currently kind of de I'm debating with myself, you know, how much of a problem do I have with this? How much of a problem do I need to have with it? I guess need to is the wrong word, but how much do I feel the need to think about this? But I will just say, this is kind of both the up and the down. A, like on the upside, it's it's a freaking awesome scene. On the downside, it's not what I expected for this last season, as I've as I've probably already made way too clear. Um, so yeah, you know, it both, to me, it kind of is emblematic of, you know, the creativity and the freshness of this arc, but also that this is definitely not what I was hoping for. Like like a runaway load lifter, not the kind of thing I was hoping for for the final season of Clone Wars, but maybe that's yeah. okay. You know, we still get, we still get plenty of, uh, still get plenty of action and plenty of drama yeah. um, in this arc and in the other. I think there's an interesting relationship and i'm glad you brought that up because i think there's an inter 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 interesting relationship especially in the age of the internet between what we're expecting and what we get and how that shapes the viewing experience for us for yeah, example I, I was yeah, gonna go say ahead. for example 
the, the biggest one that comes into mind right now because it's so recent we were talking a lot with Alex and Molly about the book of Boba Fett if, if you told me in the book of Boba Fett we're gonna see Luke and Ahsoka talk I would have been like there's no way in hell we're getting that in the book of Boba Fett and then we do was that what I was expecting hell no were episodes five and six of the Book of Boba Fett what I was expecting? In no universe. But they, they're what we got. And I actually really do like both of those episodes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it, again, it's one of those expectations versus reality. And I think, um, you know, we, we, we see that a lot with modern Star Wars content. I think specifically um, The Last Jedi suffers a lot from this where people were going in expecting certain things, and then yeah. the movie offered them different things, and they were like, but why didn't I get the things I expected? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think there, there's only so far I think you can use that, though. Because I feel like we have to be conscientious, especially in the internet age, with, you know, so many potential just echo chambers and... and so many ways that people can just get themselves we all can just get each other endlessly hyped up over pure pure conjecture yeah but at the same time i think it's a dangerous game to like to just in to try and invalidate i'm not saying you are but like i feel like it's not cool to invalidate people's disappointments or criticisms with certain things by just automatically dismissing it like like in, in my in my um like in in my uh, experience, I'll just say that going into watching the Last Jedi in the theater, you know, on the internet, you know, Ryan Johnson, you know, I heard some rumblings. So, you know, obviously, oh, the Star Wars is going to be different. It's going to be like nothing before. So I actually went in there. I remember like kind of saying to myself in my head as we we're sitting in the dark right before the movie was starting, I was saying, okay, I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm going to go with it because it's probably going to be different. But yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll with it. And, and take it as it comes. And I, I still ended up not liking it. I've rewatched it. I've, I've, I've thought about it. I've rehashed it. And I, I still maintain that it's my least favorite Star Wars movie. So I think that... I, I think that... I, I guess my point is that just... Like, you can't just chalk everything up to expectations. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm not... I'm, I, I apologize if, I, if, if it seemed like I was making that generalization... No, not at um, all. I just wanted to. I yeah, just wanted to yeah. make make sure, hundred percent, make sure we're clear yeah. on that. Yeah, um, I, I'm not saying that's one hundred percent of of any, everybody's criticisms can fall out of that because that's not like absolute. That's absolutely not true because you know I have, for example, I have my legitimate gripes with Rogue One. It's probably my least favorite Star Wars movie. That had nothing to do with expectations. In fact, I actually went into that movie knowing the entire main crew was going to die. I got that spoiled for me ahead of time. Um, and I set my expectations based on that, um, and still I was disappointed by the movie, um, in a lot of ways, but, um, I, but I think, you know, it's, I think the, the, especially the over-analysis of trailers, and, you know, we're not beyond this fault, we didn't do an episode analyzing the season two of the Mandalorian trailer or anything, oh wait, we did do that, you know, we analyzed the frame, but remember when, when, when we had that whole discussion about what we thought season two of the Mandalorian was going to be? And most yep. of that stuff, by the way, that we talked about was completely and utterly wrong. I'd actually love to, 
if we can find that, I'd love to re-listen to that and see what we thought and see how wrong yeah. we were. Yeah. Um, like, I remember specifically there was, like, I remember having a chat with Pink Milk, uh, Brian from Pink Milk on Twitter, and he was like, what if the um, Din and Grogu um, in the snow are looking at the helmet in the snow from Victory and Death? And I'm like, oh, they better not make me relive that. That wasn't the same planet. That wasn't even close to the same planet. They weren't doing anything similar on that. But, you know, that didn't ruin the episode for me. Just because, you know, I had this theory that that was going to happen. Or just because, here's another good example. Um, uh, Mr. Alex Damon, actually, on Star Wars Explained, um, had his theory that Cad Bane was responsible for the death of the Tuscan Raider land and not the, um, not the, uh, Nikto gang. And I actually believed that theory. I thought that was a, a plausible theory and it made a lot of sense. It turns out it wasn't Cad Bane, it was actually just the Pikes. Did I hate that episode now just because my fan theory got invalidated? No. I might dislike it for other reasons, but yeah. In this episode... We see Trace's pilot dreams almost coming to fruition. Uh, Trace fires up her homemade uh, kind of salvage ship, the Silver Angel, because Rafa has got them a job. They travel to the spice mining planet of Kessel. They meet with the, uh, I guess, the major domo of the king. You like to remember the king's name? I can't remember exactly. Uh, Yaruba. King Yaruba. We meet King Yaruba, or the the, the vassal, maybe, of, of King Yoruba, and they pick up the spice. However, tempers flare on the ship. They have a disagreement. Um, Ahsoka has serious qualms about spice running, um, and Trace ends up panicking and dumping the spice because she doesn't want anybody to take her ship. Unfortunately, that leaves the, uh, the trio in quite a bind, we could say quite a bind indeed. Yeah. So, what did I do? So they try. They go to Obadiah to deliver the spice to the Pikes because, of course, they're delivering it to the Pikes. They try to trick the Pikes into taking the spice. They nearly pull it off. They nearly pull off a crazy mind trick combo with Ahsoka. However, they end up getting captured by a tractor beam, and that is where the episode ends. Absolutely. We already talked about the fortune cookie with Alex and Molly Damon. Um, mistakes are valuable lessons often learned too late. Let's just go with it. Um, yeah. I'll start off um, with the very nice parallel to Return of the Jedi at the end of the episode, where um, uh, Ahsoka and Rafa and Trace and the Silver Angel accidentally enter a military lane, and there's that moment where Aunt, where um, Ilarn was like, uh, well, uh, stops them, is about to have them arrested, um, and then he senses Ahsoka and goes, no, let them go. Um, and uh, it's obviously a parallel to um, Vader and Piet and Luke on the shuttle Tidarium in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Which I thought was a really nice touch. What a great moment. What a, what a, that moment just gave me goosebumps. The music, ever, everything about it, just, man. Putting Ahsoka's was, theme in there, yeah. Goodness gracious, it was... It was it was darn near heartbreaking. I'm gonna be yep. honest. It was a it was a lot. It was yeah. a lot, but man, it was man, it was good. I didn't quite realize that 
Anakin definitely sensed Ahsoka, but that makes it much more interesting that he then still decides to uh, to let her go because knowing Anakin, knowing how possessive and obsessive he can be, you know, I wouldn't be too surprised if he would have been like, Ahsoka, what are you doing? I'm p- pulling you aboard with a tractor beam, you know? So yeah. thankfully he doesn't... Uh, thankfully he doesn't do that. that. Fun trivia fact, though, quick aside. Um, the Silver Angels cockpit is actually almost the same as the Ghost's cockpit because the assets for the design and the assets were actually of the Ghost's cockpit were actually repurposed from the original uh, Martez Sisters arc before the Martez Sisters were even in it, which was supposed to be, of course, in season six of the Clone Wars, but got cut. Ultimately. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, uh, yeah, um, I want to talk about this arc and its connections to Solo, a Star Wars story. Because, you know, they go to Kessel, we see the same um, Maelstrom that um, we see Han make the Kessel run in in the Falcon and Solo. Um, I was shocked and very delighted to see how good the Maelstrom looked. Like, it looked really good, you know what I mean? It looked very accurate to what it looked in Solo. Um, And I I was pleasantly surprised by that. It was beautiful, beautiful animation. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm just such a sucker in the Clone Wars and Rebels as well. All the animation. I'm just such a sucker for these big, wide, environmental shots. They're just, they're just. Oh my yeah, favorite. they're um, they're 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 top tier, man. They're top tier. But we have to talk about some Kessel lore. I think. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the first side. Sorry, I got to sneeze. But <coughs> this is the first time we see the the lush jungle side of Canon Castle on screen. Obviously, we see the. I think old... that's the first time we see Kessel on screen in the no, no, no. Chronolo- see... chronological timeline. Chronological timeline. I meant like, yeah, yeah. Chronologically. No, is... I know, but like now I'm realizing that this is the first time we see Kessel chronologically in Star Wars. Now, of course, we have seen it before in a uh, Spark of Rebellion. And Solo. we've seen it in Solo, but this is the first time we've seen the jungle side and not just the uh, the yeah. smoggy pits side. And what's really interesting to me is that. The Kessel that I used to know, the Legends Kessel, is very, very different. Do you know about Legends Kessel, Eli? Uh, please enlighten me. Legends Kessel, um, it's in the, uh, the Galactic Atlas book, of course, which I have, much beloved. Legends Kessel is an asteroid. I was about to say, isn't it it's an asteroid? Ir- yeah. yeah. Legends Kessel is an irregular asteroid that actually has an artificial atmosphere made by air factories. Very different. Um, oh, it is an I don't know artificial how spice... atmosphere. Fascinating. Yeah. And I don't know how spice is made in canon, but in Legends, there are these spiders that spin. Um, there are these spiders that spin the uh, the Kessel spice, which I believe is called the glitter stem, and it's the deposits made from their webs, and it has to be harvested in complete darkness by the miners in these little caves. Because they have to, uh, they have to avoid lighting it up to avoid um, activating the spice. And in Legends, also there's different kinds of spice. Like there's a kind of spice called Rill that comes from, um, got, comes from Ryloth. A lot, a lot of different things. Um, so I don't know. It's very, very interesting to see how they've kind of changed it, changed it up just a tad for um, for canon. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, it, um, 
the whole asteroid idea is a little like it's one of those oh legends ideas. Yeah, you know, like, it's definitely a much more legends. <laughs> it's like, approach, I would of say. course, it's an asteroid. This is yeah. also the same universe where, like, where on Endor, there's a f talking fucking mountain. Like, of course, there is. Yeah. Um, and I like the canon version more better because it just feels a little, a little bit more grounded, honestly. Yeah, I like both of them. Um, I mean, I like the legends one, but it does almost feel like, all right, we get it. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I, one last thing from this episode that I got um, is um, when Trace and Rafa realize they're, that the people, work, that the things working on the spice um, are actually slaves and not droids. Um, they say a line, um, uh, they, they, they say, what is it? They say, can't be an operation this large. The Republic wouldn't stand for it, which reminds me of Padme saying um, slavery is outlawed in the Republic. And, you know, the blind eye that the Republic takes to slavery in the galaxy, um, con consistently blind eye too, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um... And it, it's, it, it seems to be a very big blind spot for them. It's something they're just really bad figuring yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, it is really it is really interesting to see Ahsoka having to take the other side and Rafa, actually. It's a little bit confusing given that, you know, Rafa, you know, being the more jaded of these characters would be like, oh yeah, it's slavery, whatever. But no, it's interesting that she actually is like, no, the Republic wouldn't stand for that. Come on. And then Ahsoka has yeah. to, you know, and, be and, like, and, and, well, Ahsoka, actually... says, Ahsoka says, yeah, you'd think they would in yeah. this very <laughs> ominous voice. It's great. Um, yeah, you got anything else for this um, uh, episode? Or do you want to I mean, proceed on Trace, the I think Trace bit. dumping the spice. We got to cover that. Biggest face yeah. of all time, in my opinion. Trace, I think it's extremely stupid, but I think it's incredibly in character. Yeah. It I mean, works it's very well. Yeah. It's an interesting ethical debate, but it's clear why Rafa didn't want Trace along at this point. Um, and I think I think it's cool how Ahsoka, you know, she's too concerned only with ethics. Rafa a little bit too reckless. Trace yeah. just, you know, being Trace. Um, and then obviously their plan, not much to say there, almost works. And, doesn't yeah. work. Because the enforcer. I, I also feel like, you know, it. Trace is a very, Trace is very, you know, Roth is often the one that has to bear the brunt of what's actually happening. Trace is yeah. kept very innocent and very. She's a little bit naive. You know, she's, a, she's very naive in a, in an almost like childlike way. Um, I'm going to cut that out. That's inside, right? Um, uh, she's very naive and I, I almost feel bad for her because. Again, she's just trying to. She's trying to figure it out, you know. She never piloted a ship before the thing, Silver Angel. She's trying to figure out where she fits in. This is a very this is a growth story, not just for Ahsoka, but also for Trace and Rafa as well, you know. Um, yeah, hundred percent. We want to get to dangerous debt. Dangerous debt. Fortune cookie, of course, we covered this one already, but who you were does not have to define who you are. 
obviously this was for Ahsoka. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, my bad. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have to cover the fortune cookies because I already okay, did okay. it. Um, uh, we already did with them. Um, uh, so it begins with them in um, uh, with Ahsoka, Rafa, and Trace locked in a cell on uh, Um uh, In prison, uh, Rafa and Trace explain to Ahsoka why they are so skeptical about Jedi with the whole experience of their parents' death, um, with yeah. Zero the Hut escaping and Cad Bane protecting him and the Jedi having to crash a ship into their parents' um, building, killing them instantly. The, um, they, the parents managed to get them out, but they were killed during the collision. Luminara, a green-skinned Jedi, comes up to them afterwards and is like, I had to make a choice, but may the Force be with you. Um, and that's why they're so, um, that's why they're so self-fulfilling and that's why they're so, um, distrustful of anyone who isn't them. Uh, Rafa is tortured by the, um, Pikes that doesn't really do anything. Um, there is a, uh, Trace is tortured by the Pikes, but then she escapes and Ahsoka and Rafa escape. Um, Ahsoka using the force to deactivate the prison cell, um, they escape from the prison facility. Um, they try to get to their ship, which uh, they indeed do. Um, uh, they uh, they run into this goat called Beggar, who asks Rafa for money for food, but then she doesn't give it to them, and um, uh, and, and the goat called offers. Um, uh, the Pike's information on them in, chain, in, in exchange for some credits to buy food for himself. Um, as all this chaos is happening, we see a hood in the crowd. It's Bo-Katan cries. She and her fellow night owls have tracked down Ahsoka, hoping to convince her to help um, defeat Darth Maul, who's taken over Mandalore. Um, and we uh, shoot uh uh, wow, my brain is frying, frying right now. Um, and Bo um, tells her night owls that now, that now is not exactly the right time to go and talk to the Jedi, and they'll figure out the right time. Um, they, uh, they're then captured. Uh, Rafa and Trace are then captured by the Pikes. Um, Ahsoka tries to ambush the Pikes, but she's captured as well. And they end the episode exactly where they started, back in the cell, but having learned so much um, about each other and about how to escape. Yeah. So, I don't know, where do you want to start with this episode? Because it's an interesting one, a little bit circular, yeah. but I still think there's it's, some Actually, some it's my favorite here. of the four. It's my favorite it of the might four. be mine as well. It's definitely because Because here's the thing. I love that they end the, arc, the episode the same way. They start it physically, but character developmentally, they're like miles ahead of where, where they were. You know, it reminds us that development doesn't have to be literal. It can also be metaphorical. Um, uh, a pipe gets hit in an explosion and yells out the Wilhelm scream in this episode. I don't know if you caught that, but it was nice to hear oh, that yeah. again. I definitely caught that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about this episode with Alex and Molly, so I don't have a lot of um, 
stuff for this episode specifically because we talked a lot about like we did a lot of this episode with the two of them yeah um but yeah i mean going back to as we said you know with the story the backstory for rafa really shows the dark underbelly of the jedi and they're they're going around helping the galaxy they're out there being hot shots doing cool shit but oftentimes they don't they don't address the destruction and misery they can they can leave in their uh in their wake so let's see they get tortured you know not much to say there traces i think traces weakness as she escapes from the torture chamber which is her relative inexperience kind of sense of just over optimism and yeah just over optimism that's also her strength you know she will go out on a limb she'll try a crazy escape she's she's willing to take risks perhaps because she doesn't realize the true danger or the odds against her but for instance you know the creativity of her as she's being held by the pike still kicking the door button um this whole escape you know still like props to props to that character props to trace um i think it's cool to, it's just cool to see how what can aspects of her character that are a detriment are also a positive for her so it definitely goes both ways yeah um absolutely there's there's some really great character development in this episode um, you want to go on together again, or do you have any other thoughts about this episode? Um, I guess, obviously, you know, they're as they're escaping, um, the three of them on the run, I really like how they kind of, they get along a little bit better. Um, yeah. Especially, um, Ahsoka and Rafa, you know, they get along a little bit better. They're kind of, they're figuring things out and that's yeah. just really nice to, that's nice to see. Very heartwarming. What I mentioned with Alex and Molly, of course, the whole, um, you know, you I'll go this way. Yeah, the go this way. Then tiebreaker, come on. It was this like really energizing moment. I think it was like scripted and yeah. like voice acting so well. And then it made it, it, we instantly believed the chemistry of the three of them. Yeah, 100%. Um, and then, uh, yeah. One more thing. The retracting bridge scene where they all jump over the bridge. Obviously, yeah. Ahsoka, she uses the force to jump over the bridge. Yes. Mm-hmm. But even so, welcome to Star Wars, where everyone is an Olympic long jumper and probably a high jumper too. Like, I know, sus- obviously, suspend disbelief. Well, yeah. actually, I don't think you need yeah, to suspend yeah. much disbelief because Rafa did it while the bridges were generally close together. Yeah. Trace, Trace was going to fall. Trace was yeah. going to fall, even and Rafa, so lifted her up. Even Rafa, though, she was jumping six, eight feet. I mean... Yeah. I can't believe that, that Rafa did not realize that Ahsoka was a Jedi. I mean, it was right there! And she's just like, I'm more athletic as she jumps... Uh, she jumps I'm more like athletic and she... feet forwards and eight feet in the air. She's like, oh, I'm just more athletic than I look, you know? No biggie. Yeah, I'm no like, biggie at all. I'm, I'm like, like, come on, come on, that can't, you can't really Pick be that oblivious, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I think that's all I got. Um, let's go on to together again. One more um, thing, actually. Did okay. you see Ahsoka do the pull shoot trick, where they you pull the oh, enemy out? Oh, I did. Wall? 
That was such a good. I thought it was a Rebels reference because I think it was. Who was the, it? Was um, it Ezra and Rex? No, it was Kanan and Rex. Kanan and Rex who do that. I just watched that episode Stealth for a rewatch of Rebels. I'm doing Stealth Strike. Yeah. Yeah, great episode. Fantastic episode. What and a really really great moment. Love seeing Rebels. You know, getting yeah. a little bit. I love that episode of Star Wars: other. The Clone Wars season eight. I really do. Do you want to get on to? Uh, yeah. Together again. Yeah. Reunited and feels so, so good. good. <laughs> um, actually, on my Clone Wars soundtrack episode, that's literally the song for this episode. Together again. Reunited <laughs> nice. and feels so good. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, in the in the prison cell, the, uh, Rafa, Trace, and Ahsoka think of a uh, plan for how to escape. Ahsoka devises a plan in which. She tells the Pikes that she's going to betray Rafa and Trace. Um, she, um, and she's going to be like, give them 24 hours um, uh, to get the spice if they fail. I will tell you where their family's from. Um, Rafa quickly realizes that their family is dead. So Ahsoka is giving herself up for um, them. And Rafa want, decides to go back for Ahsoka once they get the spice. But only to hold it over her head. Yeah, um, which is the most Rafa thing possible. Which is the most Rafa thing to do. Um, it's like, I'm going to do the uh, right thing, but not because I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, look, development is slow, you know. That's what I like. Um, that's what I like about this. Development is slow. But anyway, um, they, um, Ahsoka quickly escapes from her cell um, and uses the time to do a little good and plants explosives all over the place. While she's doing that, um, she overhears a conversation between Marg Krim, the head of the Pikes, and Darth Maul, who still has a sizable control over the Shadow Collective. And uh, Darth Maul seems to sense her, but she gets out of the way before anyone can see. She's eventually captured, and they realize that the Pikes realize she's a Jedi. Um, meanwhile, Rafa and Trace um, steal Spice from the Pikes to give it back to the Pikes. Um... There's this whole debacle with the Toong species, uh, of which Ben Quadineros is a member, and their Crandoshan Overseer, which Rafa gets into a fight with and eventually defeats by dropping him from a ledge that's like 50 feet high or something like that. Um, she makes she makes like a, this like thing fall. Um, eventually, uh, they reunite and get the hell off of... Um, Obadiah and back to Coruscant. Um, they have a little discussion on Coruscant before they are met by Bo-Katan and the Night Owls, who convince Ahsoka that they have a common enemy and they and that she should work with them to um, get rid of Maul. Um, she boards their starship, their Gauntlet Starfighter, and the arc ends. Um, our fortune cookie is: you can change who you are, but you cannot run from yourself. The only one we didn't cover with Alex and Molly, and I, I like it because it's an inverse of the third episode of, of who you were, who doesn't have to define who you are. You know, the whole idea of, like, you know, who you were doesn't have to define who you are, but don't run from yourself. There are certain things yeah. about yourself that can't change no matter how hard you try. Um, or maybe you... Or maybe you want to accept those things about yourself and not necessarily just try your hardest to, to be someone else all the time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally, I totally feel that. Um, let's start with together again. What do you, what do you got with, for together again? 
Mm. I mean, a little bit of a disappointing start. You know, we're back to playing the blame game in prison. Yeah. Every one of them, all three, they're right in their own ways. But Rafa is honestly a bit manipulative at this point with Trace, you know. The whole family spiel, you know. Trace needs to be able to, at the same time, make her own decisions. And stand up for herself a little bit more. Stand up for herself. And Rafa is using her previous, you know, support, allegiance, obviously, with Trace. She's kind of holding that over her head. Which I'm not a huge, not a huge fan of. Yeah, I, I get that, and um, uh, again, the development is a bit slower in these episodes, and I'm excited to watch decommissioned from the Bad Batch to see how Troth, how Trace and Rafa evolve as characters. Um, uh, uh, it's interesting to me that the Shadow Collective still exists. I thought it, it disbanded after the takeover of Mandalore and. Uh, Is it five, not now the Crimson Dawn? Didn't Maul call it the Crimson Dawn? No, he said he, he said he said Crimson Dawn would be happy to take over if the Pikes failed, but he called it the Collective in the episode. Oh, mm. yeah, Crimson Dawn is a part of the Shadow Collective. I don't think Maul actually started Crimson Dawn like we thought in Solo. I think Dryden started Crimson Dawn, uh, Dawn, or at least Dryden was in, in charge of Crimson Dawn at the time of, that Maul ran the Shadow Collective, and then when Maul's empire on Mandalore collapsed, Maul started manipulating Dryden Voss, and he's like, yeah, this is my crime syndicate now. Jeez Louise, that's all very complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely complicated, and Maul likes playing games. Gotta uh, have a, I gotta have a refresher on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, well. it's, it's freaking ridiculous. Um, I also I mean, really like that um, this episode, I don't know if you feel like this, this way but this arc feels extremely original trilogy to me i didn't get that at all what made you what made you feel that way about it well all of this stuff about, i guess the kessel run and like kessel and obadiah like they feel very original trilogy air to me because we don't see kessel in the prequel trilogy and also i don't know if you noticed but while they're escaping the pike fighters at the end did you notice they played the tie fighter attacks uh, theme from uh, new hope. Dang, I didn't notice that. Good catch. Yeah, which which I feel like is what, it, when we're talking about Crystal Crisis, you know, blending the original and prequel trilogies together, blending those eras. Well, I mean, there you so, go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you got? Sorry, I've been blabbing a lot. No, no, no. Of course, go ahead. Um, I don't know. Ahsoka's. Pl- I love Ahsoka's plan. You know, she's so crazy. Ahsoka's plan is 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 incredible. I I'm a little I'm a little concerned. Like, huh? Why isn't the uh, Trace or why isn't Rafa picking up on that? Maybe she's playing along though. Who knows? Um, the rel- I love the revel- the reveal from the Pike boss. My life depends on it as much as theirs. I'll never stop. Yeah, I'll never get tired um, of harping on peeling well, back the layers. Yeah, um, but like, and, and and will he figure it out? I don't know. Yeah. But he always knows. They use a lot of that language in Solo when doing the mall reveal, and I noticed that the mall reveal in this and the mall reveal in Solo are very similarly crafted. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, Rafa, obviously, with the Quadrant Arrows people, she's a good finesser. Yeah, the um, Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'm confused about, the mall hologram. 
he yeah. moves as a hologram. He moves around. He looks down over a ledge. Gosh, I'm so confused about holograms at this point. Jacob, here's one thing you gotta understand about holograms, okay? Yeah. This is a saga (laughs) about space wizards. Yeah. These holograms are magical. They work exactly how the plot needs them to work. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah we could go on a longer. whole rabbit hole with holograms and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I also, by the way, love that um, Bo-Katan at the end offers Ahsoka exactly five minutes to make a decision about it. That is the most yeah. Bo-Katan thing to do of all time. That is the most Bo-Katan thing to do all the time. I was so confused how she just here's a difficult she choice. I'll give you exactly five it. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I I know we used to want to kill each other. I know I used to say that I wanted all Jedi dead, but now I need your help. So you got five minutes. You have um, five minutes to completely change your mind on me. <laughs> Meg, don't sue us. How would you rank these episodes? Mm, I think I would rank Dangerous Debt number one, Together Again number two, Gone with a Trace three, and Deal No Deal four. But I think they're all very close, you know? Yeah. I, I feel There's like for me, about I definitely were... agree with Jacob that Dangerous Dead is the best of the four. The other three feel very interchangeable to me. There are some things I love about... I think Deal No Deal will have to be the last one because there are things I love about Tracing Together again. I think I, I think mine's the same as Jacob's list except for Gone with the Trace is higher. I think it's Dangerous Dead, Gone with the Trace, Together Again, and uh, then Deal No Deal. I, again, but I, I love all four of these episodes. Um, and yeah um it's um it's a great arc and i I, i'm really glad that we got to cover it another time i was so pleased to be going back into and watching this arc absolutely my opinion of this arc has definitely improved since it uh since it first came out so i'm very glad that we got to go back get in the weeds discuss it a bit more no one quarter portion for this week. Um, let's talk about next week, and uh, yeah, uh, let's talk about next week, um, and let's talk about um, the future of Star Wars: The Galaxy, the near future. Next week, we are indeed looking at the Bad Batch arc. We're looking at the events on Anaxes and Skako Minor. Um, I'm so excited for that. Um, the week after, uh, Jacob and I, um, by the time this episode comes out, we will have announced. The week after next, we are streaming. Yes, we are streaming. We have guests. So we can officially announce um, on this. Yeah, we can officially announce this. Um, Our first guest we just posted on Twitter this morning is the great Jared Bachman Stubbs, the Dark Jedi of the Nerd Academy podcast, is joining us again for this live stream. Um, uh, And we're going to announce more guests to come, we hope, you enjoy our announcements of these guests, and we hope you enjoy us live streaming to talk about the best episodes of Star Wars The Mandalorian. We are doing a Mandalorian bracket stream. We wanted to do this for a long time. I'm so excited that we get to do it. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at IndieGalaxyPod, Instagram at Star Wars in the Galaxy. Um, you can listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we will be there. If we're not, you can email us at SWNGalaxy at gmail.com. 
Um, leave a five-star rating and review if you can. It really helps with our visibility. And until next time, may the force be with you always.